0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: A science story, huh? Is NYU
0: a uh, felt, felt I right. But I was so and I just happy. thought, well, I
1: figured it out. It fine.
2: was that golden moment. Because science was on my side.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. And Happy New Year! Welcome back to the Story Collider. The theme of today's episode is going out, which, depending on how Omicron is affecting your area, may be something that you aren't doing that much of right now. Both of our storytellers will be sharing stories about the challenges of leaving the house, which, to me, feels pretty relatable right now. Our first story today is from M. Leona Godin. It was recorded last October at QED in Queens, New York. The theme that night was translation.
0: It is the summer of twenty. 20- 19, and uh, my partner Alabaster and I are living in Denver, Colorado, and I'm standing at my apartment door, debating whether or not to go out. Now there are lots of reasons not to go out. Number one, I'm a writer; I don't even need to leave my—I don't need to leave my apartment. I don't even need to leave my desk and my computer if I don't want to. Um, number two, I should really do the dishes. Oh, dang, I did the dishes already. (laughs) Number three, um, Alabaster's gonna be home really soon and he will take me for a proper walk to the Denver Botanic Gardens. Number four, who needs independence anyways? (laughs) It's overrated, it's all about interdependence these days, right, (laughs) right, right, Right? yes. Number five, I suck at being blind. This needs to change. I promised myself that I would go out today and practice my cane skills. I'd practiced my cane skills, and I told myself this, and I told my mobility instructor, um, and my, you know, my mobility instructor had been taking me out on routes like once a week and stuff, and and uh, and uh, I don't know if y'all have ever like taken musical lessons, like tried to learn how to play the guitar or the piano or whatever, and you shell out your money and you show up week after week, and you forget the little part about practicing, and at some point you quit because you're embarrassed because each lesson is like increasingly more embarrassing, and surprise, surprise, you have not learned how to play the guitar or piano or clarinet. It is the same with Kane. Travel, you gotta practice. And so at our last lesson, my mobility and my mobility instructor said, "Just go around the block. Just around the block. Just as simple as that. Like your cane skills are fine. You just gotta go around the block. You wuss." <laughs> she didn't actually say "you wuss," but she was totally thinking "you wuss." <laughs> Though I have not always been blind. I it was. I have a progressive eye disease. So I've been very slowly going blind throughout my entire life. And when I was a kid, I I could see pretty normally. Just at night, I had some night vision issues, but I refused to use a cane, right? I absolutely refused to use a cane, that stigmatic white cane. I don't want to look blind. I don't want to look blind. So I refuse to use it, even when, you know, at night, sometimes I would get caught outside and I'd rather like walk into fire hydrants and, um, you know, get cursed at by pedestrians because I'm smashing into them and stuff, but better than using the stigmatic white cane. But I was fiercely independent, nonetheless, as a badass little punk you rockety, rockety teenager. And I think I would have been pretty upset with myself for letting it go so far, right? Letting this all go so far. And so I think to myself, this is it. Today is the day. And I grab Moses. This is Moses named for the way that he parts the Red Seas of pedestrians. <laughs> And I check my pocket, make sure I have a gin nip, uh, liquid courage, as my dad used to say. And I step outside of my apartment door, and then I, I stand there for a second and I listen to sort of the echoing sounds of, of the apartment, sort of some rustlings and shufflings behind all the closed apartment doors. And I think to myself, neighbors, please do not come out. Please. Please do not come out. Don't stop me before I even get started here, because the really weird thing about being a blind person is the spectacle of it, you know? It's like everybody sees you, and, and, and you don't see them, and they all think that they know you, but you don't know them. It's like being a really boring rock star. <laughs> But they don't come out, and I make it outside to the door. I push the door open, and then I'm hit with all these other different sensations. You know, there's, like, this warm wind. There's the the crows are cawing. There's some people talking up the street a little ways. Um, and then there's the traffic heading south on Corona. We live on Corona when Corona was just a nice, refreshing beer. <laughs> and... I have Moses at a nice angle, uh, about two paces in front of me. His his, his tip is like two paces in front of me. And so it hits the top step, then it hits the second step, and I make a right onto the sidewalk. And as a baby cane user, I, w- I would really like to trail something. And by that, I mean like hitting the right arc of the cane against something and kind of keeping myself straight. It's nice to trail building lines or um, or grass lines or in Denver because you need to like... Um, you know, save water, there's lots of rock rock lines, for rock landscaping, but I can't do this on this block because I will surely get sucked up into one of the many driveways that lead up into these big apartment buildings, and so I need to keep my shoulders straight, um, kind of squared with the, with the traffic on Corona Street, and about 20 bases along Corona, I meet my first fan, and he... And he says to me, oh, good afternoon. And I say, good afternoon. And he says, you are such an inspiration. (laughs) And I was like, well, thank you. That's very nice. And he said, "Uh, my father went blind, and he was able to work on cars. And I was like, well, that's very inspirational. Thank you. <laughs> you ha- have a nice day. And then I keep going. And then and then there's this nice smell of honeysuckle. And I know that I'm getting close to the end of the block. And, and then I'm at the end of the block. I'm at 10th Avenue. And I just kind of stand there for a moment. Um, I promised myself that I did not have to cross 10th Avenue today. I've done it many times with my mo- mobility instructor. But I don't have to do it today. I'm just standing there, and I'm just listening to the traffic. And um, there's a signal here, so it's very obvious when the cars are either going parallel or perpendicular to me. So if I were to cross the street, it would be with the parallel traffic, obviously. And a woman says to me, do you need help crossing the street? And I say to her, oh, no, thank you. I'm just practicing. And I say it with a big smile. And there are times in every blind person's life when quizzical looks... Are audible <laughs> and this was definitely one of them and and so you know she doesn't say anything and then, and then the light changes and she says oh okay and then I make my way I take my right and I go along 10th Avenue and I know that there's going to be an alleyway that, that this alley runs behind the buildings parallel to uh, Corona And I have to be careful about not getting sucked up into the alleyway. Uh, It's kind of a a gentle little slope. It's not a very obvious curb. It's just a gentle curve um, with asphalt. And so it feels different under Moses. And I make it past. And I'm like, yes, I didn't get sucked into the alley. And I get all the way to Downing Street. And Downing is confusing because Downing actually goes up. It goes north. But I go down, Downing. I make my right, and and it's wonderful. I love Downing because I can hit this these wonderful landscape little low walls, and I can I can hit these with my with Moses, and it makes this amazing thwack. Um, Every time I hit them and, they, and I'm walking along, I'm trailing these little low walls and they're reverberating off of the buildings and it's wonderful. It, it gives me this shape of the whole street and I think to myself, this is echolocation. <laughs> this is really cool. I'm like a bat. <laughs> I'm like a bat. Like, What is up with this saying, blind as a bat? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, they're not blind in any kind of practical sense. They zip around. They catch mosquitoes. Like, can you catch a mosquito? I mean, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I You know, I'm going to work on this whole blind as a bat thing, echolocation. And you know, when I was visually impaired, I used to love to walk uh, during the day and think, you know, and and it it's it's hard for me to think so hard about walking, but I think I'm in a good place right now. I'm thwacking my cane, it's reverberating. I'm thinking a little bit, but I'm also getting a little bit cocky and I kind of get down to Ninth Avenue and I make my right. And, I, and before you know it, damn, I'm sucked into the alley. I'm, I I I followed the the trail of my cane and it led me into the alley. And the the way that I know this is very strange. Um, you don't necessarily need to be like hitting something for echolocation to happen. There's also passive echolocation, which is basically like a reflected sound. And for many years before they discovered echolocation in like the 40s or something, 1940s, um, blind people called this facial vision because it kind of feels like it's hitting you in the face. It's a very subtle kind of a thing. And I I don't know, my hypothesis is that we have like a lot of brain space dedicated to the face, but I'm a writer, not a scientist, so I don't know. (laughs) But it's a really interesting feeling. So it's very obvious to me that I'm headed towards this alley that has the same kind of sonic darkness, I suppose, equivalent to like visual darkness. It kind of sucks the sounds in of the the traffic on the other streets. it kind of has this closed in feeling this this dark um, this dark sounding feeling. Um, so it's very close to my house. I'm just a little ways away from my house. In fact I could take this alley but the cars travel on the in the alley and and there's no sidewalk and also it's like the back door to our place and we never take the back doors. So I don't want to go this way. I want to get back to the sidewalk. I cannot find the fucking sidewalk and I'm like, damn, I am really embarrassed right now. This I do not like this blind thing right now, not at all. And I'm reminded of this time when I was a kid. I was visually impaired. I was a teenager, and I was drinking on this rooftop um, with a bunch of my friends. And this roof was very complicated to get up to. It was like a series of roofs and ladders to get up there. And so usually I went up, obviously, with or always. I'd always gone up with my friends, gone down with my friends, and... This night, my boyfriend dumped me, you yeah. know, and I said, I don't need him. I don't need anybody. So I was like, I'm going to go down the roofs by myself. And so I walked to the edge of the roof, and I, I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm smoking a cigarette to kind of screw up my courage, and I, I'm crying a couple of little teenagery tears. And and then I'm just about to scoot my butt off the edge to the next little roof level when two friends, two guy friends, come up and they sit really close to me and they're like, ah, oh, you know, how's it going? And I'm like, hey. And they making me feel better. They start making me laugh and stuff and and um, smoke another cigarette. And then finally they're like, so where are you going? And I was like, I'm going home. And uh, they said, this is not the way. <laughs> This is not the way, and what was really weird about being visually impaired is that if I knew something, I could sometimes see it better, and so suddenly the roof that I thought was just like a couple feet down under my feet was actually not there, and that it would have been like a 60 or 70 foot drop straight down, and then I could see that quite clearly, and I was like, oh my, I might have like fallen off into nothingness and like killed myself or broken a lot of bones and man, people would have thought I did it for a boy. (laughs) Like, I was boy crazy, no doubt, but I was not that boy crazy. (laughs) And so my friend said, oh, well, we'll help you down. And so they helped me down all the roofs. And I got back down to the sidewalk. And I'm like, I'm good from here. And I I was really embarrassed. I was so freaking embarrassed and, and kind of ashamed and stuff. But I think that's what made me think of this, right? Because I was feeling so embarrassed and so ashamed at being caught, like, between this alley and the sidewalk. And it was the most obvious thing in the world, but I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, but you know what? I'm not in danger. I am not about to fall off of a roof right now. I'm actually totally fine. And there's just a little pile of rocks that I need to kind of figure out to get back to the sidewalk. And that's all I need to do. And I've got Moses Me and Moses are gonna figure this shit out. And so we poke around and we poke around and we finally get back to the sidewalk and I mobility myself back to Cronus Street and make the right and then there's the familiar cement wall that I thwack, thwack on. And then there I am at my front steps and I step up to the door and I stand at the door and I think, that wasn't so bad. I think, I'm gonna be the best blind as a bat person I can possibly be and let me make thing one thing straight i am not there yet i am so far from there yet <laughs> but it is wonderfully comforting to know that all i need to do to get there is to practice thanks a lot guys yeah. oh.
1: was M. Leona Godin. Leona is a writer, performer, educator, and the author of Their Plant Eyes, A Personal and Cultural History of Blindness, published by Pantheon in 2021. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Electric Literature, Playboy, O Magazine, Catapult, and other print and online publications. She has produced two plays, The Star of Happiness, about Helen Keller's time performing in vaudeville, and The Spectator and the Blind Man, about the invention of braille. Leona holds a Ph.D. in English, and besides her many years teaching literature and humanities courses at NYU, she has lectured on art, accessibility, technology, and disability at such places as Tandon School of Engineering, Rice University, Baylor College of Medicine, and the American Printing House for the Blind. Her online magazine exploring the arts and sciences of smell and taste, Aromatica Poetica, publishes writing and art from around the world. A few reminders before we proceed with today's episode. First, if you'd like to sharpen your storytelling skills and learn more about the science of storytelling, our February online storytelling workshop is now open for registration. Find out more at storyclider.org workshops. Next, we have a few online shows coming up in the winter months with stories from New York, Chicago, Massachusetts, and more. We'll also be holding our online slams on a quarterly basis this year. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you, like us at Story Collider, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to The Story Collider at storycollider.org slash donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters have access to an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. And we are also, for the first time ever, selling merch on our website. If you would like to buy a Story Collider hoodie, t-shirt, tote bag, or more, you can find those at storycollider.org store. Your purchases help to support Story Collider's work. We're so grateful to everyone who helps to make our shows and podcasts possible. Our second story today is from Roque Rodriguez. It was recorded last September at Caveat in New York City at our show in partnership with Black in Mental Health.
2: Thank you so much, Manny, Jade, and Paula. Thank you, Story Collider. Thank you, everybody who is listening. Ah, especially thank you everybody in the room for giving your energy and support. I I am, I feel it, and I appreciate it, and I need it. So thank you. Um, so boom. I'm 17 years old. It's the summer before my senior year of high school. I got my first car ever, and I am finally feeling like a free person. So I did what, you know, any... Um, entrepreneurial industrial pothead kid from Patterson, New Jersey would do with this freedom, you know, and I went uptown like me and my boy me and my best friend Christian, uh, to, uh, drove uptown to 145th in Amsterdam, and we purchased uh, about a100 dollars worth of weed, which, as it turns out was, Worth $200 in New Jersey, because that's how the market worked. Like, the bags were, like, this big in New York and this big in Jersey. So we, we saved up our little $100. We went there as soon as I got my, like, three days after I got my car, literally. We, went, we drove up to the city. Uh, we, we got the weed, came back to Christian's house. We break down the weed, and I swear, like, this is my Nino Brown moment, right? Like, this is my Scarface, Tony Montana moment. Like, we're going to be big. Like, we're starting small, but, you know, we had so many friends that smoked, and we figured, like, this is so easy, no problem. We're just going to sell this weed. It's going to be awesome. So I take, I take my half of the weed, which was 10 dime bags, 10 tiny little dime bags, and I put them into a brown paper bag. And I put that brown paper bag into the right-hand big pocket of my cargo shorts. And just as I'm leaving Christian's house, it occurs to me, I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me just change because I'm about to go to work right now. Let me get, let me change into my work uniform so that we don't have to get changed at work. My work uniform was a uh polo shirt and black pants. At the time, I worked as a friendly server. Shout out to all my friendly servers. shout out to all my restaurant server people, service industry fam. Aye! Shout out to, anyway, I get really excited about that. But so, um, so I, I changed into my uniform and I get into my car and I got into my car. And honestly, like I just wanted to pause for a second because I have to tell you, like this is the most glorious moment of my life right now. Like me walking from Christian's house to my car, I heard like you know, uh, like uh, um, that '70s song you i walking, walking I can hear that like you know what I'm saying like I, I feel like swagged out so I get into my car uh it's a, it's a beautiful day it's sunny it's the middle of the summer it's July so it's hot so I turn the AC on all the way up put the windows on and I start driving I start driving and I'm busting I'm listening to my favorite album at the time it was onyx shutting down 98 which is a couple years old but yo this album was so great and it was so loud onyx is the loudest rap group in the history of music and if you're not familiar one of the songs that I kept playing on a loop over and over it was uh, Shut them Down featuring DMX. And it went, shut them down, shut them down, shut them down. What? With DMX, right? <laughs> Rest in peace, DMX. But listen, just imagine that. That's what I'm hearing, right? Over and over again, very, very loud. And I'm driving on my way to work. And on my way to work, there's a strip of road that's like 20 minutes straight of just me driving straight. Like you don't have to make a left or right. You don't have to do anything, it's just driving straight. And I found myself on this day, on this road, driving, and there was all green lights all green lights and nobody in front of me. And I'm just like, could this be any better? I'm on my way to work right now. I'm going to make twice as much money at work as I normally do on a Saturday because I'm going to sell all this weed to my friends who will have money because they're at work. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and, like, as I'm going down the road, busting to shut them down, I see uh, to my left um, from the intersection there is a car, a, a cop car coming. With the flashing lights on. And I'm like, oh, he's going kind of fast. Let me pull over here. I'm I'm, I'm approaching the intersection. So let me pull over just in front of the light and let him get in front and let him pass in front of me. So the cop car is coming to the left, coming from the left, comes to the middle of the intersection and makes a sharp right, like into my car and stops just right, right, almost kissing my bumper. And I'm just like, oh, like that's really scary. Maybe he's trying to, you know, block me off because there's more cop cars coming or there's a, I don't know, a presidential procession or something. I don't know, you know? But, like, you know, maybe there's a danger that they're trying to, like, you know, protect me from. And then just a few seconds later, I hear, freeze, put your hands, keep your hands on the car, on the the wheel. And I turn to my left, and there's just, like, a 30-year-old white police officer pointing his gun directly at my face. This is my first time being pulled over. So... I am completely frozen in this moment. He says, "Freeze," and I complied with that. I'm just like stuck. And he's and he's, and he's actually saying more things, but it's all just like bah, 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 right. Like I don't understand what he's saying. And then finally, he like you know says like put the window down. I put the window down. He says, "Turn that shit off." I'm like, "Oh shit!" I'm like okay. I turn it, I turn it. Cause mind you, the whole time that this is happening, still, shut him down! Shut him down! Shut is that, that's still happening. The, 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 the gun is out, the car is there, all of that. That is still happening throughout all of this, you know? So I'm frozen. I'm like, oh, shit. And then also I'm like, oh, shit. Do they know about the weed? Like, and, and, and I can't. It's not a rational fear that I had, but it is a fear that I had that somehow, like, they knew I had this weed. They'd followed me from New York where somebody had called somebody and I'm in trouble now because I had never done this before, you know? So finally, I come to, and this guy's still pointing a gun in my face, and he tells me to get out the car. And eventually, I make my way out of the car into the back of the car where I put my hands on the trunk. And he pats me down very aggressively. He pats me down aggressively. Um finally, like, after he sees I have nothing, he's like, what were you doing? And I'm just like, I'm on my way to work. Like, you know, like, I'm just like, I'm on my way to work. I work at friendlies. I go to Don Bosco High. i you on the football team. Do you know Coach Toll? You can call Coach Toll. He'll tell you I'm a good kid. Because this is how I was looking at myself right now. I like, I'm a kid who has going to his summer job, you know. <sighs> anyway, I felt like I was a kid and I was a good student and I was a, you know, Eagle Scout. And why are you? harassing me right now officer man so he asked me you know what do i do I said i'm going to work he said like oh well you know I, i've been following you for 10 blocks i said i didn't know you know uh another older officer i want to say in his 60s he had a white uh mustache white hair like like shockingly white hair like you know he had seen some things <laughs> and uh <laughs> he, he he walked over though and then he 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 asked me he's like son what's going on here and I'm just like, and I, I, I told the whole story again. The music was on. The AC was on. I didn't know. He was behind me. I had all green lights. I had no reason to pull over. He, he, talk, he pulls the young officer to the side. They talk for a second. They come back. He said, okay, where's your license and registration? And I say, in the most clear, this is the clearest I've ever spoken in my whole life. I say, my license is in the small right-hand pocket of my cargo shorts, not the big one, the small one. Why would I say that? Why would I say that? But I said that, I said not the big one, the small one. And so right now, like the the officer walks away from me and starts to walk towards the passenger seat of the car, uh, opens the door picks up the shorts, and just in this moment, I could think about my mother, my grandmother, my whole family, actually, that was in Dominican Republic, and the conversation that they would be having about how Charito moved to DR to raise her kids, and now her youngest son, who was a prodigy, is in jail now. And that's all I could think about. That I'm going to, like, she's going to have to have that conversation, and I'm going to have to tell her that she's going to have to have that conversation. So, cop's walking over to the car, and I'm thinking about, like, the fate of my future. Um, He picks up the shorts, he goes into the small left hand pocket, doesn't see anything. Goes into the big cargo left hand pocket, doesn't get anything. Goes into the small right hand pocket and pulls out my license, has the shorts, looks at them, tosses the shorts back onto the chair. And I was just like, oh my God! <laughs> the unbelievable luck of me in this moment. I cannot believe it. And he, he starts to walk back to the police car. He runs a check. They come back to me. I'm still here, standing at the back of my car, hands in the trunk. They come back to me, and they're like, okay, you can go um we're gonna let you go I was like listen you, you know he said you know I pulled you over I was like no like why are you gonna pull me over he's like you had uh the the new the the paper license plate in your back window and you, you know after like you're not allowed to ride around with it you have to like put it on license plate on after a certain amount of time and I was like yeah but it's only I've had the car for three days and I you know I'm trying to get my plates and he's like yeah 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 so just you know we are gonna let you go so had he just run that plate that he saw in the back of my window, it would have come up that I just purchased this car. But he didn't even bother to do that. He was just trying to pull me over, which speaks to the fucking bullshit part of my French, because there's no no kids in the room, that black people have to deal with all the time, you know, and that contributes to, to to the deterioration of our mental health. But anyway, this guy walks away. I'm driving to work, and I am bawling. I am crying. I'm just like, I'm crying like, a newborn baby, I can't believe it. I, I am a newborn baby. I'm born again. You know, I'm a born-again human. Uh, I'm, I'm going to act right from now on. I didn't. I proceeded to act wrong. But, like, in that moment, I was like, I'm going to act right. I swear. You know, Jesus, thank you. So I get to work. I call Christian. You know, I'm like, oh, this is crazy or whatever. I move on with my life. I I felt so much shame from the fact of that I almost went to jail for intent to distribute and that I almost had to explain it to my whole family that my mother, who had been, you know, sacrificing to send us to private school, all three of us, by herself, you know, I was going to have to explain to her that, you know, like, sorry, I'm going to jail now. Um, And I had so much shame around that that I never told her about it. I never told my mom about it, even though, like, I was a 17-year-old kid who had a gun pulled on by the police. I never told her about that. You know, I didn't tell my older brother or sister. I didn't tell anybody that really could have helped me because I just had shame. And then I... Really. And then I went on to like get pulled over by the police a few more times, uh you know, in the, in, in the coming years. And after like, the third or fourth time that I had like a very disturbing incident with the police, I just stopped driving. Uh, I stopped driving like 15 years ago uh, and I didn't try to get my license back. And it's only over the last 10 years through working um through meditation, through yoga and in the last year, really through working through therapy that I have come to a new relationship with the fear that I was feeling uh, towards the police because the fear that I was feeling, even when I was in the passenger seat or the backseat of a car and a cop would pull behind us, I would tighten up. And the fear that I felt was rational because the police murder black people for no reason. And that is a thing that I know. But how do I relate to that fear? What is my relationship with that fear? How much power was I willing to give it over my life. And I'm very glad to say that over the last year, I've been changing my relationship with that fear and I'm no longer afraid to interact with the police. I'm no longer, you know, afraid to exist. I am aware that bad things could happen to me while I'm doing those things, but I am now, for the first time since I was 17 and just got my car, I am now finally starting to feel free. Thank you.
1: That was Roque Rodriguez. Roque, the son of Dominican-American immigrants, is a 500-hour trained yoga teacher. He is a proud co-founder of Surya Side Yoga in Queens, New York, and when he's not teaching the Surya Side community and mentoring his new teacher trainees, he's dedicated to spreading love and yoga to underserved and under-resourced communities through programs and partnerships such as Liberation Prison Yoga, which provides yoga and meditation to incarcerated people, and his I Can Breathe Yoga program, which offers teacher training and scholarships to BIPOCs who want to bring yoga to their community. He's an advocate for prison abolition and community organizing. The Story Collider is so grateful to Leona and Roque for sharing their stories with us. StoryClider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, with assistance from Story Collider's program director, Nissa Greenberg, and senior podcast editor, Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Clutter's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, Program Manager Misha Gajewski, and Marketing Manager Nikesha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Nissa Greenberg, with assistance from me, Aaron Barker, and by Paula Croxon and Gastor Elmonte, with assistance from Manny Jade Garcia. Our theme music is by Ghost. We'll be back next week with an episode about bugs. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, thanks for listening.